Hey guys, and welcome to the Life Oasis podcast. My name is Chaim Golazer, grief recovery specialist located in Brooklyn, New York. My name is Mati Khain, life coach located in Brooklyn, New York. Welcome to today's podcast. With us today is singer, songwriter, and guitarist YC Safran. I know him as Chaim, or some of you know him as Yosef Chaim. Yosef Chaim, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm a singer, songwriter, and a guitarist. This much we know. Yes. I have two songs on Spotify, and I am on Instagram. Some people know me as the Funky Hasid. But uh, yeah, that's that's me, basically, in a nutshell. Awesome. So let's just jump right into it. What inspired you to write your first song, Not Today? <sighs> well, I'm not a huge fan of the song, personally, for certain reasons. But okay, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna shorten the story because... We all know why I'm sure. (laughs) So basically what happened was in like 2017, I had written this little riff piece on the piano that goes, but it was very dark. It was very mellow. It was very depressing. And during uh, quarantine, this is like, you know, three years later, I'm in my room and I'd been practicing a lot, a lot of guitar you know, getting pretty, I was decent at it at that point, but you know, I was putting, you know, my all into it. I was just working at the guitar. I was nonstop. And one day I had come to the realization that I hadn't written a song in like six, seven months. And I was like, well, I have to, I have to, I have to, but it's very hard to just say, oh, I have to write a song and write it. It's not like saying, oh, I have to go on a jog. You know, it's, it's, you need, you need like inspiration. You need you know, you need passion involved. So I was like, okay, fine. I'll go on my phone, look up some old voice notes and work on something that, you know, needs, you know, working on. And I found this little thing, you know, this little riff, you know, that that's now the hook of the song, but I, I was going through with it. And I had at the time a guitar slide. For those of you who don't know what a guitar slide is, it's this little metal glass piece you put on your guitar. It kind of allows the guitar to sound almost like like a, a person's voice almost because it has like this whiny country cowboy type of tone to it. And I was like, wow, that sounds really cool. And at that moment, all of a sudden I went from, you know, seven months of writer's block. All of a sudden I was completely inspired and I wrote the entire song in like 10 minutes. But then the lyrics came like two months later you know, it happened very fast. The lyrics came when I, I I had got back to yeshiva after, you know, six, seven months of quarantine. And, you know, as most people, my work ethic was just not the same as, as you know, most people had been affected. And it was just like a cultural shock almost because like went from literally zero structure and zero discipline straight back to, you know, waking up at 730 in the morning every day, you know, and learning for 13 hours. It was just a bit much. So I, I decided, I, I wrote the lyrics because I, I knew that I had a serious procrastination problem, which, you know, everyone has has problem with laziness, but I realized that my laziness was getting out of hand. So that's, you know, I that's when I wrote the lyrics. And after I wrote the lyrics, I was like, you know what? I need to have a project. I need to have a project in Yeshiva to, to do besides for Yeshiva, you know? Because guitar is a hobby, but the goal of guitar, it's kind of, you know, like a lifelong thing. You know, I'm always striving to do better and better. This was, I was like, okay, I need a short term project just to get me through, let's say the next two months. So I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to produce this song and release it. I did rush it a bit. There are things I would have changed about the production, but 
you know, it made me happy and it was very fun doing it. You know, my first ever song, it was a, you know, a lot of an eye-opening experience. There's a lot of, you know, things you learn. Shout out to Izzy Dre who produced it and gave me a lot of tips, you know, as a beginner. But the lyrics, because I know you want to know, in short, the song is talking about procrastination, right? Not today. I'd say, I'm sorry, but I'm not. I fell asleep and I forgot, right? Et cetera, et cetera. The, you know, a lot of people ask me about the verse and a lot of people don't understand what it's saying. And I just don't have the patience to explain to, you know, a bunch of people what my songs are talking about. You know, I feel like, first of all, I do agree that I was being a bit too cryptic. You know, when, when, you're, when you're writing songs, you got to find the, the medium between cliche and subtle. You know, it's very hard to find, you know, the balance between giving away too much and hiding, you know. So, so I learned a very important lesson from that song. But, you know, the, the verses, people want to know what it meant. It was basically kind of me picturing conversations I was having inside my head with, you know, with stories, you know, it's like, it was basically each area was representing like a different challenge that I'm overcoming. I haven't told a, a single person on the planet what the song meant and it has nothing to do with me like being shy or just being afraid to be vulnerable. It's just that I don't have patience. I have zero patience to explain to people, you know, the, the whole, the whole deeper meaning. And you know what? I'm not being pretentious by saying this. I'm just going to say it. You know, real poetry is, is for the, you know, the, the listener, or the reader to, to interpret. So when people ask you about the song, you're like, just listen to it. From the first song, Not Today, to the second song, Lost a Friend, what progress was made throughout that? Oh, oh my gosh, tons. So here's the thing. Ironically, I wrote Lost a Friend way before Not Today. I wrote it like a year before Not Today. The thing is, though, is that I didn't like Lost a Friend when I wrote it. I thought it wasn't good enough. I thought that people would not enjoy it. But then I released Not Today, and the moment you put out one of your own, you know, pieces of work, you start to discover things that you never even thought. Like, learning from your mistakes happens during the process, but there's something else about when you put a piece of art that you made into the ether, the moment people start to listen, you kind of get like self-conscious about it. Like, and I don't mean overly self-conscious. I don't mean like you start to get insecure. I mean, you just become more aware of the situation. I mean, you know, children learn to talk by going to preschool. You know what I mean? So like I learned a lot about production, you know, how to produce songs and how not to write certain things. For example, as I was saying about, you know, the whole subtlety thing, I, I realized when I got to the second song, I'm like, okay, I could be cryptic, but people have to kind of understand what the message is. And people understand, it's, you understand what the message of Lost a Friend is, just people don't know who I'm talking about. You know what I mean? It's much easier to understand. So that was something important I learned. I also realized that my voice sounds way better on my upper register, right? And not today, I'm like, not today, right? And you know what? Some people think it's cool, but I personally, and a lot of my, you know, close friends who I trust their opinion very much also will say the same thing. My, my higher vocal register is completely different ballgame. John Mayer was once saying in an interview about sometimes he's writing a song and he tries really hard to get all creative and imaginative, trying to create these like crazy situations with the stars and trying to write about the universe and and these crazy outlandish extravagant ideas and then he realizes it's not working out but then he said the best lyrics always came when i was fitting the entire universe in a cup of water right he was saying how if if you can have an object you know a simple object represent 
uh, an idea that's way bigger than itself. First of all, people connect to that much more, but also it's just, it, it, it's surprisingly easier to write. You'd think it's not, but here's the thing, finding it, it's kind of, when you're writing lyrics, it's almost like you're searching in the dark. It's like you dropped your phone in that little part in the car seat and you can't find your phone, right? You're sticking your hand there for 10 minutes. Why is it so difficult? You know, it's right there on the floor. It shouldn't be that difficult, but for some reason you have this panic attack in your brain. So it's kind of like that with lyrics, right? You start off with this idea. You're like, oh, I want to write about X, Y, and Z. And then all of a sudden you're like, why the heck is this so difficult? What the heck? And then something clicks in your brain. You could say it's kind of like uh, divine inspiration. That's what it is. God basically comes to you in a vision and says, here it is. Now just, you know, figure out like the little details, like, you know, whether you should say do or you, you know, but you know, that's in a nutshell, it's, it's very true about, you know, an object representing like in breakup songs, you see a lot where like, someone's like, oh, I'm looking at the window that we used to sit upon for days. You know, it's it, cause no one ever writes, no one ever writes in a breakup song. I miss you. I mean, I mean, there's a Rolling Stone song called I miss you, but the point is though, no one just says oh, I'm feeling really depressed that you're gone now. They always say like, oh, I miss the color of your hair. Oh, I, I miss the way the wind used to blow on the days we would walk in the oceans. I don't know. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I really like that because I find the same thing with life. We always try to chase perfection. We have this idea, this image of who we are, and we're chasing this perfectionism that doesn't exist because it can exist. Not all of us are perfect. And we sit there and we drive ourselves insane because we're not reaching this perfect potential that we believe we have. Right. And especially in a day with social media, which is, and I'm not, I'm not going to get into the whole social media is, is bad for you because everyone knows social media is bad for you, but I'm talking to specifically for, for people who are trying to perfect a, a certain art or just, you know, a trait of any sort, social media can be either the greatest thing for you, or it could be your absolute downfall because there's so many talented people on the internet. And that's really cool. You have daily doses of inspiration. It's literally just like shooting inspiration at your brain every single day. The problem is though, is that sometimes or all the time you see, because what you are essentially seeing on social media, you see this guitarist who's just an incredible shredder. And you're like, I'm never going to be that. The problem is that you're, 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 you're scaling. What's the word? You're you're metering, you're comparing. Yeah. You're comparing, you are comparing yourself to, to, to someone who's better than you. You shouldn't, you should be comparing yourself to yourself. You say, okay, how was I doing last week? You know what? I did improve. The problem is, is that, you know, that's a given, obviously everyone knows that when you're working on something, you should never compare yourself to someone who's better than you. You should look up to them for inspiration. But if, if you keep on saying, oh, I'm not as good as them, I'm never going to be as good as them. That's terrible. The problem with social media is that there are so many people who are better than you. And there will always be people that are better than you. I came to peace with this a long time ago. Thank God. You know, it was difficult though at first because it's so discouraging. It's terrible. It's so, it's so, it's gut-wrenching watching like people who are 10 years old shredding their brains off. And you're just like, how come I can't play like a C minor? You know, like, well, why, 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 why? So at the moment that, that I realize that it doesn't matter, the moment you, you choose to let go of that, you A, become much more free, but B, you already literally improve by like a hundred. Yeah. I think that freedom really comes from a place where you stop comparing yourself to other people and you do compare yourself to yourself. 
meaning to say like you're never going to be better than someone else right compare yourself to the person you were yesterday exactly someone else's today yeah but it's even more than that it's like in the future you are still not going to be better than him because you're not like him you are different than him you you could be the best version that you can be in a different way i mean like take Take uh, two extremes. Let's take, I have no idea who I'm going to take right now. But let's say we'll take Eric Clapton and Steve I, let's say. And, and Steve I, right? Okay. So they're, they're two completely different people and they have two different music, like two completely different genres, two completely different songs. And it's not like, oh, I'm, I try to be better than him. It's I try to be the best version of myself and look what happened. Because when we start comparing ourselves to other people, to what other people are doing, we're missing out or we're we're defying something that we have within, which is our own beautiful creativity that is ours and ours alone. That it's mine and mine alone that I'm not allowing to come out, that I'm not allowing to release because I'm comparing it to someone else. Yes, yes. And in a world where, where social media shows you how many great, fantastically talented people there are out there in every, in every subject, what, what the realization you have to come to is that, am I going to be another one of those extremely skilled shredders who are just robots who are all hitting the same goal, right? They were all, they were all prodigies at age six, but what have they done? What have they done different? You know, that's changed anything, right? Right. There, we, we live in a, social media has kind of created in, in, in a lot of places, not just music, but it's created a bunch of robots in the sense where people, let's say at a young age, let's say someone's six years old, you know, gets access to, to video of uh, LeBron James. And he's like, I want to be a basketball player. And he starts playing basketball at six years old. And you know what happens when he's 18? He's the greatest player in the world, right? Now that, you know, 50 years ago, it wasn't like that just because, you know, people didn't un have the concept. These days, everyone understands that you put in hard work, you get results because everyone sees the results, right? Back in the day, you had to have so much more brain power to push through. Now it's so much easier because you know that it's possible, right? So what happens is, is that there are millions of guitarists in the world. I'm not exaggerating. You can look up like, you know, statistically there are millions of guitarists and there are so many good guitarists, but you know, you know why there's only, there's only 20 guitarists that everyone talks about because those people all have their special thing. You know what? John Mayer cannot shred as good as, as Steve I, neither can Eric Clapton. You know why they're special though? Because there's something special about their sound, their music. So I always try to strive for a, you know, just a certain character. I'm trying to pull off something a little different because I know that I will never be as good as these seven-year-old jazz pianists that you see everywhere on the internet. And you're just like, oh man, you know what? I, I wish my parents whipped me into, into such good shape, right? No, no, no. You know what? That kid, that kid is impressive and flashy. But he is not going to make a difference to, to the overall scheme of, 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 you know, of that art if he, cause he's not making anything unique. He's doing the same formula that everyone else is doing. So that's another downfall of social media that a lot of people are all striving towards the same exact goal. And a lot of people are getting to that goal, but once they get there, it's just like, okay, you know what? I've seen 700 other people do the same exact thing as you. It's like, how many times? Am I going to watch someone do the John Mayer solo of gravity? Like, just stop that. I, I made it my, my new goal in the past five months or six months of playing guitar. I stopped learning solos to show them to people. I learn solos now 
if there's something in there that I've, that I can't physically, if there's room to improve, I, I, I learn a solo. I don't learn a solo anymore. So I could say, Hey, look, I could play Layla really nicely. You know, it's not exciting anymore. I mean, everyone wants to hear covers and everyone thinks that, you know, it's cool. It's cool at the end of the day, but I, I try to focus now on my creative side much more. I, on a daily basis, I have at least three voice notes of, you know, weird guitar stuff that I do. They don't necessarily go into music or songs, but training the creative part of the brain, I think, is much more important in, in this modern world where things are moving so fast and there are so many great, great skilled people. I think it's much more important to focus on your creativity than to focus on, on how, how fast your fingers can move or how, how many, how many shots you could throw in a hoop is like, okay, great. You, you got nine out of 10. Good job, son. But are you changing the sport of basketball for the rest of, you know, history? No, no. The reason people talk about Michael Jordan till this day is not just because he was good at throwing a ball in a hoop is because the shots that he actually pulled off who, who even thinks of doing that? You know, someone who's crazy thinks of doing that, right? He floats in the air. That's the floating part is the skill. But you know what? I'm sure there are people who could jump just as high as him. The problem is, though, is that they, they're not thinking out of the box, right? The reason why Jimi Hendrix will always be the greatest guitarist of all time, and people don't understand this. Yes, these days there are people who can shred more than Jimi Hendrix. These days there are people who know more about music theory than Jimi Hendrix did. But you know what? Jimi Hendrix changed the instrument forever because he changed the instrument in the sense that it was no longer just an instrument in an orchestra or in a band. The guitar became, it was almost like, a, it's like a Lego set in a way. It's like every kid wants to get their hands on a guitar because of Jimi Hendrix. That's what he changed. Every guitarist in the past 40 years Who's come out? All the greatest guitarists in the past 40 years, you ask them, hey, who's your biggest inspiration? They'll tell you it was Hendrix. Even if they're better than him, skill-wise, it doesn't matter. He creatively changed the instrument, right? Steve Jobs didn't know how to code. And you know what? He changed technology forever. You know why? Because no one else was brave enough to think like that, okay? The reason why Elon Musk is the richest man in the world is not because he woke up one morning and said, I want to be rich like every millennial and every teenager and every Jewish yeshiva bucker coming fresh out of cash advance and real estate. He woke up one morning and said, I want to change the world. See, there's a difference because these days it is no longer impressive to be really good at something. It's impressive to be unique at something. So that's what I'm trying to strive to do. I'm trying to write tunes that, you know, go in unexpected directions or when I'm soloing, I know that I can't necessarily shred the same way Ingve Malmsteen does, but I know that I can evoke certain emotions that people have not necessarily felt in a song. So yeah, that's the goal. Yeah. So earlier you were talking about inspiration and social media. If you go into IC Suffer in social media, you'll find that he uh, is playing Piamenta in a black hat and jacket, which is also really cool. But there are so many great players that you play. You play Henrik, you play Piamenta, you play John Mayer. Who is your biggest inspiration and why? Well, for songwriting, I'd say my biggest inspiration is probably the Beatles. Just, you know, everything about them is great. Guitar-wise, my biggest inspiration, and I don't think this will ever change because, you know, once you find that thing that keeps you going, it's usually always that thing. If, 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 if it's substantial enough. And I would say John Mayer is 100% my guitar hero. And you know what? A lot of people think that's cliche. And you know what? There's a lot of John Mayer fans out there who are cliche for, for wanting, who, wanting to play every single song exactly the way he did. 
no, that's not the way to do it. I just, I just explained for 20 minutes, right? Saying how, you know, you don't want that. He inspires me because, because I know for a fact from listening, you know, to many of his interviews that he came to the realization that he was never going to be that, that guy who could play a million notes for per second. But he realized I can affect people by evoking emotion out of the instrument because in essence, that's what it is. And one of the reasons why, like, I love Bob Dylan, he straight up made so much music, so much music. He won awards for writing music. And he literally said that the music I'm writing, I can't sing it. If you ever heard Bob Dylan, he does not have a good voice. Straight up said, I wrote it for other people. Yeah. I think actually what he said, I don't want to write these songs. Was that good? I don't know. <laughs> That'd be pretty good. Now, it's funny because these things in life, like we're speaking about it in music terms, but I think it also has to do with every single one of us in our own daily lives. And I'll just give a quick example. There is this guy who inspired me, like when I started getting into coaching, when I started getting into speaking in public and all these things, he really inspired me. I'm like, wow, I want to be like him. In the beginning, I really tried to like be like him. And at one point, I just had this turning point in my life where I'm like, no, I don't want to be like him. I want to learn from him to be the best me that I could be. And, and through him, all of a sudden, my entire perspective on this person changed and I was able to be a bit more creative with myself and then a lot more creative with myself and just think out of the box and try things. And the podcast is one of the ways of doing it. Like, I'm going to start a podcast with Chaim and, 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 and just do things differently and be creative in my own way. And it's difficult. It is difficult because the moment that we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, we are sort of putting ourselves in the place that we may get hurt. Yeah, you're you're kind of like you're in the open of you're you're open in the field uh, where people are shooting paintballs. Like either either the plan's about to work out, you're about to steal the flag, or you're about to get shot really exactly. bad. Yeah, exactly. And that and that is a whole well, it's it's difficult and scary at the same time. So, what tip would you give people to allow themselves to be more creative and sort of be less fearful? Right. So I'm only 19. So I clearly don't have enough life experience to necessarily give a full rundown. But I'm saying based off all the things that all the challenges that I faced in my music, probably the number one thing I'd say to people, because everyone always says, oh, be true to yourself, be yourself. Yeah, thanks. I know that. How how do you be yourself? The best way, the best way. And, and this is going to sound a bit backwards, but you have to be in denial. I know it sounds a bit backwards, but you have to be in denial that everyone around you, you have to say like, everyone around me sucks. That sounds, first of all, delusional and, and, and a bit pretentious, but it's kind of like, you know, how they say fake it till you make it. It's kind of like that. Cause you have to have that mindset because no one has the confidence right away, you know, just right off the bat to say, oh, I'm unique. I'm different. This is my thing. No, no one, you know, you're not physically capable. The only way it happens is through this disgusting, egotistical cockiness, right? Like, just like that no one wants to be around you, right? And, and you see, like you said, you're putting yourself out in the open. This is, it's very dangerous. You have to tread very lightly in this area. But if it works out, what ends up happening is, is that you have like a relapse. What happens is that you pull yourself so far from the surface, right? By telling you yourself these things, right? And, but while it's happening, what ends up happening is because of that mindset, it allows your brain to create new ideas that you never thought you would have done without that mindset. Now, the problem is 
now you're a disgusting person that, you know, everyone thinks, okay, this guy clearly has lost his mind. So how do you get out that? Well, you can either hit rock bottom. For me, I, I got so full of myself when I, like the first time I performed with uh, Ari Rabin. First of all, it's funny how I thought that that was like the, the pinnacle moment of my career. I thought that was the climax of my career. I had 300 followers on Instagram at the time. This was like five months ago. Ari was kind enough to let me play on stage with him at his concert. And I remember everyone coming over to me afterwards and they're like, you're so good. Oh my gosh, you're amazing. And in my head, yeah, heck yeah, I am the best. I am so, so good. And you know what? I went home and like I started writing and I started making more music. And I was like, wow, 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 look at me. Like it opened a new door of creativity. But then you know what happened? Like two days later, literally, I was sitting on the couch one day watching a video of someone. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not that good. I'm so bad. I need to improve so much. But, but the door of creativity was always open because the moment, the moment that you allow that thing to, to come in, it doesn't leave. Cause the moment, if you think you're not capable, like you see it in the movies all the time, right? Where like, you know, this like shy guy doesn't think he's capable of, you know, doing X, Y, and Z. And then he does it. And then he becomes the strongest man in the room. Right? So in essence, so full of yourself that it allows you to open up a door that you never thought you had. But then you see, that's the tough part. The tough part is, is realizing, okay, I'm not really that good. It's just that the ability to be unique, you have to allow the ego to, to just go full maximum, just steroids. You have to become, to, to create something that, you know, no one else makes only comes from such self-confidence, you know, like up the roof. You guys know Anderson Pack. He does not take himself seriously at all. You know, you know why that is? Because, because I guarantee you, he spent years of his life getting told by everyone, you're absolutely incredible. And the ego probably got to his head. The ego gets to everyone's head. It happens because you can't control people from telling you how talented you are, right? But at the end of the day, that inspires you to, to become better than, than you could ever be. But it also obviously has that terrible effect of, of just delusions. It's delusions. It's not true. You're not that good. It's just that people enjoy it and therefore... People grow an emotional connection to things that they really like, right? And therefore they think, oh, because I really like uh, Tesla cars, it means that they're good for the environment. Yeah, I mean, I think it is at the end of the day, it's that balance between confident, or full of yourself, come with yourself, and allowing yourself to be humble at the same time. And sometimes in order to get there, we need to like, hit both extremes yeah. not to be like extremely humble and extremely we'll call it egotistical and then find that balance between me and me giving or me and me being there's a scary part so many times where we do like boast our ego and we do allow ourselves to be and we don't take advantage of that place where we were creative right because like let's just say i'm being i'm being open i'm being being vulnerable i'm being egotistical whatever it is and then all of a sudden I get trampled on. So a lot of times I'll just give up completely instead of, instead of taking advantage of that moment. Right. I mean, yeah, in your situation, you got very good positive feedback and that allowed you to feel yourself more. Yeah. But sometimes people don't feel that and they get the opposite reaction and, and they could put themselves down. But at the end of the day, in both situations, it all depends on how we react.
because so many times we'll set, I was once playing guitar and someone said, oh my gosh, Mati, you're so good. You're so amazing and everything. And I could tell myself, well, maybe he's just saying that because he wants to make me feel good with myself and I'm not really good. See, it doesn't matter what people tell us. What matters is how we take it and how we react to it. Right. It's very difficult to, to evaluate yourself objectively. Yeah. It's, it's a very difficult process. Yeah. You know, you said before that uh, you were doing a live performance with Ari. I actually met you first at a live performance. Also, Ari was there. I don't know if it was with Ari, but... Oh, the, gar the garden comp? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Tzvi Levine. Yeah. And I mean, I remember walking up to you right after. Oh, dude, you're amazing. And now, now I kind of feel weird about it. But then I got you on a show with uh, Mendel Goldman. It was amazing. And the question which I wanted to ask you was, what is the hardest part about performing in front of live audiences? Oh, it's actually funny that you say that because... I actually was just about to say, this is also a very important aspect of anyone who's trying to improve. You have to make opportunities for yourself where you know that there's a big chance of you messing up. So you have to, there's no, you have to say, there's no way I'm messing up here. Meaning you have to give yourself the opportunity. Let's say like, you know, a golfer, he has that one shot, right? And everyone's watching and the tension's built high. You know what? He spent years of his life saying, I don't want to mess up when everyone's watching me, right? So the most difficult thing is Jewish crowds. And I know that sounds a bit anti-Semitic, self-hating. Here's the thing, though. Jewish crowds, unfortunately, for whatever reason, maybe it's, you know, thousands of years of Jewish evolution, don't have grace. They just don't. Like, why is it when I play an acoustic song is there's so much noise, you know? The only time, the only time the crowd goes silent is when I whip out the guitar and just go, wow, right? Only when I start shredding and get flashy, all of a sudden they're all just like, you know, just silence in the crowd. But when I'm trying to play a song that actually has meaning, right? Uh, for some reason, you know, whenever I'm about to get up on stage, biggest fear is not messing up because it's not because I know I'm not going to mess up. I know that there's a chance I'm going to mess up. That's why I'm not afraid. I know that it's going to happen. It's just part of the process, right? You know, messing up. Messing up is, you know, literally number one. I mean, every time a baby tries walking and falls, you know, I mean, that's literally every time you go up on a stage, though, it's it's kind of like practice, but it's on steroids because practicing in your basement is great. But when you're in front of people who have other who have minds that aren't it's not your brain that's judging. It's a hundred people who you probably don't even know. Right. And they're and they're sitting there and they're they're not necessarily critiquing, but in your head, it's that way. So, so you have to be so, you have to try to be so perfect, right? And therefore it pushes you to do better. And every time you mess up, it's like, you know, like fighters, right? After getting knocked out, they, they spend the next two months looking at the tapes of that fight and say, okay, I, 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 I was letting my guard down on my left side. I have to, you know, now work, you know, much harder on that specific area. So every time I perform, I, I look back, I, I always make sure there's someone taking a video. There's got to be someone taking a video. And I look back and I say, okay, that was bad. That was great. That was bad. And you know what happens? What's funny is a lot of times I'll, I'll look at those videos, I'll perform another day, and I improve on all the things I did bad at the last concert, but then all the things I did good at the, at the previous concert, I do bad on this concert because I let my guard down. Right. So it's an everlasting struggle. And you know what? I love it. It's, it's so fun. It's, I don't know. There's just this, your body releases so many endorphins when, when, when you, when you fail, it's weird. I know it sounds weird, but like every time I fail, 
there's like a 10 minute gap where I'm completely down. And then all of a sudden it's like an epiphany. I'm like, and now we are going to use this opportunity to get back up and we are going to show those people that we still got it. I relate to that so much because every time that I fail, I used to look at it as it was the worst thing ever. I mean, how could I fail? I'm meant to be this perfect person. How could I fail? And now whenever I fail, I'm just like, wow, thank God I'm human and could fail and I could learn from these mistakes. And I really think that's really, it's just how you look at it. And it's just, it's with life. You know, if you look at life as you're going to continue make, you're going to continue to make mistakes, but one day you will learn from them. And you're getting somewhere, you know? What's so bad about making mistakes? Like, 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 I know this is a whale topic. Well, it's embarrassing. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Even if it's in, in private, you could be embarrassed in front of yourself. You know, it happens all the time. But I, for some reason, have just gotten to the habit. You know, maybe that's why I'm, I'm doing so well at what I'm trying to do is because I've grown into this habit basking and bathing in depression. Like every time I get in a bad mood or, or I realize that, that I'm, failing at something, instead of trying to fight it, I try to get so deeply immersed in it that, that all of a sudden you start to see the surface again. Cause like you can't fight a tidal wave. You know what I'm saying? You have to let it suck you in so you could come back up, right? This sounds cliche, but every failure is an opportunity to succeed is a hundred percent is. And it's not just, you know, in, in traits, it's just also in life in general with like mood swings or whatever, right? If, if you're having just like a really bad week because you were like really unproductive, you could either spend the next week being productive and staying in a bad mood, or you could spend the entire next week on a couch, get even worse, or you could spend the entire next week fighting the depression, always trying to repress emotions. No, no, emotions are not meant to be repressed. You have to let it come in and have its full effect because only once it's fully destroyed, that's when you have the ability to pick yourself back up again. You, you will not be able to become a better person if every time you see something bad happen, you just deny it. Say, no, no, no. You have to get engrossed. You have to put your hands in the mud and say, oh, this is dirty. This is terrible. I feel absolutely disgusting. But you know what? At that moment, that that is the same moment where the guy comes with, with a hose and cleans your hand. I like that. All right. So as we're approaching the end of the episode, we're going to start asking our formal wind down questions. So the first question is, if you were interviewing yourself right now, what question would you ask yourself and what would you answer? I would ask myself, are you conscious of the fact that you sound very pretentious? And I will say, I know I've been told that and I do sound pretentious at times. The problem is that these days people are very open, but not honest. And I think since I'm very honest with myself and with, and with people around me, people look at it like almost as me being a disgusting person. It's not, and I understand that, but no, I'm just trying to, you know, say the fact of the matter. The fact of the matter is, is that I am good at guitar. I am. I'm a good musician. I'm a darn good musician. Obviously I'm not the best that I could possibly be, but I am. And it sounds egotistical and it sounds pretentious, but it's just the facts. Nice. I like that. You know, cause you, you are allowed to be proud of yourself. You are allowed to appreciate and celebrate and acknowledge the good that you have. And not just that, it's highly encouraged. Like every, even the small victories, you should make a celebration. Exactly. About yeah. And people can take them however they want to, but I think it's extremely important to do that. I think it's extremely important to acknowledge your 
Now, like, for example, the beginning, I was so afraid to say that I'm a coach. Like, oh, who the hell do you think you are? How much experience do you have in life to be a coach? Me, you know what? Yeah, I'm a coach and I'm a darn good coach. It's so true. There's a very big stigma about that. There's yeah. a big stigma. Yeah, for sure. The next question that we'd like to ask you is what three books do you recommend our listeners to read and why? Oh, man. Here's the thing. I don't really read books, but okay. The three books I recommend to the listeners out there is... Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Why? Why? Because it's a good book. The second book I'd say is definitely Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, because that book goes in deep explaining not just people's paths to success, you know, big people like Bill Gates and, and the Beatles and, and Steve Jobs and all that, but it also explains the mindset that you have to have. And people just, people think all you have to do is just have the mindset of, I'm going to conquer, I'm going to do well. No, that's not enough. You have to be so grounded. You have to be very well grounded. You also have to have persistence, right? We spoke about what those mindsets were in, in the past, you know, 50 minutes or so, but it, it has such a great, you know, relatable description of how you should act. The third book would definitely be Seeds of Wisdom. And it, it's very simple because no one can outdo the Rebbe. The Rebbe is the greatest of all time. It sounds really weird that I'm saying it that way, but it's just facts. And gosh, there's just so much good stuff in there. Yeah, there's some great stories. I think even on my Instagram, I posted some quotes and some stories from that. And I occasionally open up, actually have, uh, actually have Seeds of Wisdom 1 and 2. There's two books. And uh, yeah, those are, those are great. And also the reason I love it is because they're short stories. They don't really take a lot of time out of your day. It's just, you know, some short, quick inspiration that you need. Yeah, like 100%. Yeah. yeah, so now the last part of the podcast is we have five rapid questions. Oh, boy. We're, I'm just going to ask them, say what comes to your head. Okay, three, two, one. Okay, ready? What's your favorite color shirt? Ooh, 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 red. Best advice you ever received? Don't, don't be too, too conscious about yourself. Your funniest yeshiva moment? Ooh, I once got really, really drunk at Fabrangan, and I started eating out of the main chalent bowl in front of everyone. Okay, what's your favorite guitar solo? Oh, 100% is Ariel Posen. He does a, a cover of a song called Angeline. Who's your favorite Beatle? Oh, 100% Paul. I know you might have expected me to say George. I know that you love George personally. The problem is, though, with George is just that his music doesn't resonate as much. You know, with me personally, I love Paul's songs. I mean, majority of the songs that, like, drew me to, to music was Paul's work. So it's amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. It was such an honor to interview you. I'm a big fan because I actually love rock and roll. It's really hard when there isn't, you know, rock and roll in the Jewish world. I mean, we have schlock rock and stuff like that. But... You're a 19 year old kid <laughs> ripping you. guitars out like no tomorrow. Yeah. And I mean, I've seen you live so I've seen you live, I think, three times and you've blown my mind each of them. So thank you. Yeah, seriously. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. That was awesome. Thank you so much. You can find YC on Instagram at YC Suffer Music. And you can also find them on Spotify and Apple Music under as YC Suffer. But we are planning on changing that very soon. <laughs> All right, guys.